Psalm 139. If you weren't able to be with us last week, you may be saying, why aren't you in Ephesians? Well, last week we finished Ephesians. Praise be to God for that. Psalm 139 this morning. This month, uh, since next week we're having a weekend of worship, and the theme is God above all. This month we're going to run with that theme each Sunday, and we're going to do a month-long series through this psalm, starting off this morning with the first uh, six verses. So let me read them for us, and then we'll pray. David said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us an opportunity this morning as you do every Sunday for us to be still and recognize you as God. Father, this morning I pray that our time here in Psalm 139 would be beneficial to us. Lord, that we would walk away having recognized more of who you are, you having revealed yourself to us. And that, Father, that wouldn't just meet us um, at our ears or in our minds, but it would dig down deep into our hearts and shape us. Father, I ask that in your son's name. Amen. As we look at Psalm 139, and I'm sure y'all have heard me say this, I'm not going to say it of this psalm. I love, I'll say I love this psalm, but I'm not going to say it's my favorite psalm because I realize about every psalm I come to, I say this is my favorite psalm. So you've probably gotten tired of hearing me say that by now. But even still, I love this psalm. And I encourage you, if you've, uh, you just hear the first six verses this morning, that's fantastic. But if you have time, maybe this evening, maybe tomorrow morning, maybe the, the rest of this week, just read through the rest of this psalm and see how caring God is. But not just how caring God is, because once you get to the end of this psalm, you may be surprised at how frustrated he very well is with unrighteousness and sin and such. But even still, what this psalm reveals to us is just how awesome our God is. That's what I want us to focus on this morning, how awesome God actually is and who it is that we worship. But before we get to what the text actually has to say, we need to kind of start off where, with where we are. And as I was thinking about this passage, um, I got to thinking about just how, how fickle our hearts can actually be. We all know someone who, who gets all the attention when he or she walks in the room, right? We all know somebody that's like that. Now, some of us may be sitting here going, absolutely, I do. That's me. If that's you this morning, then we can talk about some other things later. Even still, it may be good attention. It may be bad attention, right? Maybe for good reasons, maybe for not so good reasons. 
Maybe we get jealous, though. Maybe we get frustrated and kind of wonder why we can't do the same, why we can't just walk into a room and have the attention that we so desire. Why don't, why don't they want to know me like they want to know him or her, we may ask to ourselves. And so you sit there or stand there unknown, at least so you think. Right, but you see how just how sensitive our hearts actually are. Now, some of us may be saying, well, I'm not that sensitive. I don't ever care who's looking at me when I walk in the room. If that's you, then you're probably the one that everyone notices when you walk in the room. But we have a strange thing about attention, don't we? But that that I'm talking about is associated with people, isn't it? There's an amazing thing when we start talking about how God gives attention and who he has attention on. Did you know, or let me rather, let me ask you this question. Did God know all about you when you got saved? We don't usually think like that, do we? We don't usually think like that because we, this will be, man, is this a soapbox. That's why I love this song. We have forgotten today what Christians, I will absolutely say this, and stand on it. Christians today have forgotten who God actually is. A lot of times we think when we're saved, and this is this is why we end up kind of falling away, or at least we feel as though we do, is because when we got saved, God didn't actually know all of us. So when we got saved, he only saved part of us. And then later on, he has to save the rest of us. He knew all of you when it was that you got saved, and he still does. He knows all of you more than you know all of you, which is amazing. And so we fool ourselves if we think that he must get to know the best of us and then ignore the worst part of us. That's not our God. And so what I hope to communicate to you today is that God's knowledge is absolutely above all. Over in Romans, the first chapter of Romans, I believe, if not the first chapter, it's Romans chapter 2. Paul talks about this creator-creature distinction. Now, some people, if we take different tribes, for example, out in the middle of nowhere, will begin to worship the things created. I say, that's, that's absolutely crazy, JP. Who would do that? Well, we do that just in a different way. We are created, and we begin to worship ourselves. What Paul distinguishes there is that worship is not for the created. Worship is for the creator. So I hope today our hearts are stirred to worship after we take a look at what David says. So then, if we want to focus on God's knowledge and that it's above all, how does David actually describe God's knowledge? First off, in verses 1 through 4, he describes God's knowledge Ex- exhaustive, exhaustive. Now, when I say exhaustive, that doesn't mean that it's tiring. Exhaustive means all-encompassing, everything, all at once. Look at verses 1 through 4 with me. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me and known me. He seems to be the center of God's knowledge here for this moment. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, even before you say what it is that you're going to say. He says, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, how is it that the God that we worship knows what you're going to do, what you're going to say before it's even actually taken place and before the thought has come into your head? That seems wild and crazy, doesn't it? That's because that's who God is. He is the Almighty and the All-Knowing. And so this first point is that God's knowledge is absolutely exhaustive. If you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Mankind had gotten to be pretty awesome at putting things together and doing things. So they say, why don't we build a tower that makes its way all the way to heaven? It's pretty amazing when you think about it, isn't it? And so they went about doing that, but it was not according to God's will. It was not according to what he wanted. And so he confused their language, and they couldn't communicate to actually build what they were building anymore. And as they were doing this, the Bible testifies that God went down to see what it is that they were doing. Now, when the Bible says that, do you think that it means that he didn't actually know what it was that they were doing? Well, no. So when we read verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Do you think that he has to come and find out what you're up to, what you're thinking, where you are, how you're hurting? Now, he knows this already and all together. This is the way the Bible communicates to us how God relates to us. He knew how many bricks were in the Tower of Babel before he went down to check out what they were up to. And if you think about another story as an example, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had sinned, you remember that story, I hope. Eve had taken the bite of the apple. Uh, Adam did too. Sin entered their hearts. They And all of a sudden they realized where they were, what they were, and they tried to find some leaves to cover themselves up, and they were trying to hide from God. They had forgotten who he actually was. And then God went down and said, where are you? Do you think that he didn't actually know where they were? Of course not. He's meeting them where they were with his own knowledge. See, what, what I'm trying to get at is that who God is is altogether different than what we are, even though we are created in his image. We are created with value and created with certain attributes that he indeed does have. He's not just bigger than we are is what I'm trying to get at. And that's the God that we have most of the times today. A God that's just hap- that just happens to be smarter, more capable, more loving, kinder, more encouraging, more patient, and all these things more than we are. But the God that he describes, the knowledge of God that he describes in these first four verses, more is not enough to explain what's going on. And if that's not altogether amazing to you, as he says in verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows not only what you're thinking, not what you're going to say, but also what you're doing. He discerns our thoughts from afar, he says. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. There are some crevices of our lives that we assume we can kind of hide from him. 
don't we? And y'all, as I say this, I'm preaching to myself as well. We try to hide the stuff we don't want him to see, but we also try to hide the things that we want to try to fix on our own that we think that we can. He's right there knowing about it all the time. You may say, well, okay, if he knows all this, preacher, then why do we have to pray? Go to Jesus' prayer with his disciples. Right, Matthew. He prays, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He prays for forgiveness. Does God know the state of your heart when you pray? Yes, which is all the more reason to actually pray. Because what happens, and I said this before, what happens is when you pray to this God, to God who is this all-knowing, omniscient God, is that when you pray, your will begins to align with his will. You're not pandering to him, asking, will you just do this, God, will you just do this? He already knows and he already intends what he's going to do. His will is sure and never going to change. What happens is you begin to live according to what he is, what he is doing. And you, be, you begin to share almost in this divine knowledge, not because you know what's going on, but because you know the one who knows. And it's amazing to me to think about this because Jesus is also God. Remember this. We believe in the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we speak of this, I want you to understand that this is, when we consider how high and almighty God actually is, it is even more amazing to think of the fact that Jesus put on flesh that he might be the mediator for us before God. Jesus was no less God on this earth. And God's knowledge of us is David speaks of here is not a mediated knowledge. In other words, there's no middle man between God and between us here. God simply does know. He doesn't have to get a word from someone who's kind of there in the middle saying, well, this is what JP is thinking right now. This is what JP is doing right now. So it isn't Jesus Christ, our mediator. Yes, he is. Absolutely. He's our mediator in that he has made the sacrifice that we could not make. But remember that he is the God-man as well. He knows no less. He is the just and the justifier, as Romans 3.26 says. And so his his all-knowing nature makes this absolutely astounding. In other words, you can say it this this way. You mean he justified me and knew all about me, all about my sin. Yes, he did, and he does, and he will. Or, and Jesus died knowing all about me. See, we, we forget this too, don't we? We think, well, yeah, of course that's God. But do you realize that Jesus did as well as he hung on that cross. He didn't say, well, I don't know who I'm dying for. No, he knew exactly who it was that he bled for, was bruised for, and died for. 
and it's you. You see how it, uh, the gospel, when you leave out who God is, almost becomes bland and boring. And if we go jump back to Ephesians for a moment, that's exactly what our flesh, the world, and the devil would have us, have us do, is make a bland gospel that no one desires. But as David says at the end of these few verses, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's absolutely amazing when you consider that God would do such a thing. So yes, his knowledge is exhaustive. Number two, though, I have three things for us this morning. Number two, God's knowledge is also protective. Look down at verses, or verse five, rather. After he goes on about kind of this personal um, instruction here, or how God knows him personally, he says in verse five, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. David's almost playing these these two things that seem like they're opposite, but they actually go together perfectly. Earlier, he said, you search out, oh, let's see where it is. Verse two, you know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. As though saying God is indeed above. And then he gets down here later and he says, but his hand is upon me. He is both the God that is far above all that we know, think, and are, and the God who is right there with us before and behind us. And the only place you can find this God is here in his word. I hope it's beginning to be too wonderful for you if you think about this. Do you ever get irritated at someone who's behind you or before you when you're driving? And y'all, you have no idea when I say that how much I'm talking about myself. Like seriously, you don't have any idea. But think about that for a moment, how little control you have of that. You can do all you want to, but that person behind you is still going to ride your tail unless all of a sudden you make them stop, and that's a whole other bad situation. Same in the front of you. You can't control much, can you? You can't even control what's going on in your car. And mothers, you probably amen to that. But let's... Closing in here, you can't control what's going on in your heart either, can you? So we have very little control, actually. And we need someone altogether different, but altogether there to manage it and to do a work different. And that's where God comes in. That's why this is so amazing. He's before, He's behind. And he's right there. Another way to describe this would be to say that he's not distant or incapable. And some too too often we believers say, "Oh well, yeah, I love God, I love Jesus," but we assume and how we live, how we think maybe even in how we feel, that God is distant, that God is maybe a bit incapable. Doug Wilson put it this way, and this is so perfect. If it's big enough to be a trouble to you, then it's not too small to bring to him. I hope you understand that. I'm going to say it again. 
If it's big enough to be a trouble to you, then it's not too small to bring to him. Let's go back to the driving situation. Sweat the Im- it's image that popped on my head, so we'll run with it. If it's not, or rather, if it's that's big enough to be a trouble to you, then it's not too small to bring to him, is it? Because what happens when you start to bring those small things to him? You stop trying to exhibit and exercise control where you don't have it. What happens when you start or stop trying to do that? You actually, that is what it looks like to live in faith. We sometimes too often assume that to live in faith means I have to try harder. Now, I'm not advocating for a let go, let God kind of mentality. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying stop, focus on God. If what's going on in the car with the kids is big enough to be trouble to you, it's not too small to take to him. Y'all follow me? If what's going on in your heart is big enough to be a trouble to you, then it's not too small to bring to him. You see, (laughs) it's... So beyond how often we think, isn't it? And when you get up tomorrow morning, or maybe, well, I was going to say when y'all go to work, we Americans are celebrating Labor Day, which is extremely ironic. Anyway, I digress. Tuesday, when you go to work, it's really hard to begin your day with God when you assume that he is not interested in how your day goes. But you see, the, the reason we actually usually don't walk in obedience is, is not because we're not trying hard enough. It's because we've forgotten who it is that loves us. And the world will tell you, see, you, you, you can't try hard enough. You can't make it. And you say back, absolutely, that's the reason I need it. But my God is big, and he's concerned about me. So I'm going to go to him. And so he's not distant or incapable. And so what we have here is that God's knowledge is exhaustive, God's knowledge is protective, and lastly, God's knowledge is undivided. He says, after these five verses of just kind of dwelling on these things, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain it. Which, yeah, we say amen. You may say, well, okay, preacher, then how do you get your point? God's knowledge is undivided? Well, I want you to just think about what's going on while he's writing this, while while we read this. The people at play here are God and David. He's not talking about anyone else at the moment. And yet when you read the rest of the Psalms, um, even not far from where we are, you'll read about how God, about how the, the thunder rolls, the seas roar, and all that dwells in it. All these things are going on all at the same time. He even speaks of this thing called Leviathan that we really don't know exactly what it is. And then you read Psalm 139, and the question that ought to be popping up in our heads is, especially when we read verse 6, how is it that he can do this and all the rest 
the same time. I can't. We go back to, we're not God. We're not God at all. Three things for us kind of under this. First off, that we are always known. There's never a moment, there's never a moment in which God does not know all of this and all there is to know about you. He doesn't get distracted by his other children. In other words, and I hope I can communicate this this right, you always have all of God. I think about that for a moment. All that we have described here, at least so far this morning, you always have at your disposal. Because he, being God, is able to have all of his attention directed at one particular place, person, and yet not fail in one bit in running the rest of the world and loving on the rest of his children all at the same time. Now, you mothers that have eyes in the back of your head, I know what you do is awesome, but it does not compare to this. He's all-knowing and everywhere at the same time. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I can't quite get my head around that. And yet, even though I don't understand it, it's exactly what my heart wants. We go back to... uh, the story started off with when we walk in a room and knows when no one knows who we are, right? God never does not know who you are or what's going on. You're never that person to him, no matter how you think you feel or where you are. It's literally impossible for it to be otherwise because God can never cease to be God. You understand that, right? He does not change. So we are always known. Now, this is great when we're having a hard time, but it's not so great when we want to sin, is it? This is where we get the gripe. And you mean God always knows what's going on? Yes, he does. Then we go back after that and we go, and yet he still in Christ loves me. How can that be? It's that little phrase, in Christ. We make God's love small when we make him small. But even in the midst of his knowledge of us, our sin before him, we're still called to come back to that throne. On the regular, on the regular, on the regular. That's amazing. So we're always known, we're always welcome to him, as it was the second thing. That's essentially what I just said. There's never a time, when you put your faith in Christ, there's never a time in which he does not want to hear from you. Now, those of you that have many friends, at least all of us probably have some friends, but there's some of us that are just cooler than others, maybe. You'd probably be upset if you had some friends say, you know, I just don't want to be your friend anymore. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe they are not that honest. Maybe they just fall off the face of the earth. Who knows? But you never like that, do you? It's never fun. God does not do that. Even those, let's switch up 
switch this up just a little bit. We have some friends, family, maybe spouses that know us better than anyone else on the planet, which is really cool when you think about it. God gives us such people. They know the good parts, they know the bad parts, but even they do not know every last bit of you. And sometimes we think, well, if I just keep back this part, they'll still care for me. That might work in some relationships on this earth, but there's nothing you can keep back from him. And he still loves you. That's worthy of worship, if I'm not mistaken. So we are always known, we're always welcome. We always, and I essentially said this earlier, we always have all of his attention. I don't quite remember a lot of stories when I was a child, but I do know what kids do when they want attention and they're not getting it. Boy, do they cry, don't they? They whine, do this, do that. Now I say kids. I don't want to direct that just at the kids in the room because in reality, guess what? We're all that way, aren't we? We still whine and want attention, don't we? And all God's people said, Y'all know it. I know it. Let's see, when we get to be adults, sin's had its way maybe a little bit longer than in the kids. It gets a little more devious, a little more, a little operating, just a little bit keener. And we can hide our desire for attention in trying to be maybe more righteous than we think we are maybe in trying to put others down farther than ourselves, right? We still need the same thing. And God is that thing that we need. There's a great uh, pastor by the name of John Piper. I encourage you to listen to him if you're ever in the mood for just listening to sermons and such. But he has a phrase, and he says that God is the gospel, which I wholeheartedly believe. Because what happened in the gospel is that we were brought into this. Into this divine knowledge. Not us knowing as God knows, but into it is God knowing us and loving us. So you this morning, Christian, you always have all of his attention. You never have any less than that. And so he's never distracted, not when we sin, nor when we behave, is he? And so what I encourage you to do this morning is to get out of the corner of your life. If we go back to that room scenario that you walk in, get out of the corner thinking that no one cares. And realize that he knows you and he sees you and he knows all of you. And what that means for us in that realization is that we need to live before the face of God. I can't tell you just how important that is. This is one of the most important things I believe. Maybe this is because God's working on it in my own life. It is one of the most important things 
to recognize as a Christian is who this God is that you worship. So I pray that you do. And don't let it slip from your mind, but preach to yourself this week. Remember who God is, and He is always there with you. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this and we recognize it, it, who you are and all that you know, it, it, is, it is indeed too wonderful for us, Lord, to comprehend. Mm-hmm.